Luke Skywalker meditating on his rocky island retreat. Dragons soaring over the Westeros coast. John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara falling in love against a background of technicolour green fields. One place that links these unforgettable images? The island of Ireland. Maybe it's the drama of the landscapes or the heart and soul of the music that attracts location scouts. When soaring sea cliffs lashed by wind and rain were required for Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, there was no more fitting location than the Cliffs of Moher, a highlight of the wild Atlantic way. Meanwhile, anyone who's seen those jagged fingers of rock erupting from the ocean will understand why Lucasfilm decided Skellig Michael was the perfect place for a Jedi Knight to take refuge. So if you're a film fan, the island of Ireland is ready when you are. It's time to book now. Visit Ireland.com and press the green button to start your Irish adventure. Hello there and welcome back to the Irish Film London podcast. I'm Quiva O'Malley, subbing in for Neve Brannigan. During the week, I got to speak to Philip Doherty, writer and director of Redemption of a Rogue. I chatted to them about what it's been like experiencing their films back on the big screens, releasing films during a pandemic and lots more. I hope you enjoy. And my name is Jerry Maguire. And while Quaver was catching up with Philo, I went down to the Bertha Dock House on Saturday and I caught the Q&A session with Vivian Dick after we screened her documentary New York Our Time. Um, Vivian did a Q&A with Michelle Dagnan, which was really interesting and we've included that here um, almost in its entirety. Uh, I wanted to jump in at this stage as well and let people know that this is the last of our kind of festival dispatches from Irish Film Festival London 2021. Um, We've made a few additional recordings from just like interviews that we caught with people and Q&A recordings and stuff like that, which we hope to release in the weeks and months to come. But while we kind of took a little break from the podcast to focus on delivering the festival, and then did a few sort of daily podcasts during the festival to keep people up to speed with what was going on. We're now in that post-festival mode, which is like, if you've ever done a film festival or worked on a film festival or been a part of like attending a film festival, it's a fairly intense time. And we're now in the, the adrenaline lull, the adrenaline, adrenaline lull <laughs> that comes after a festival delivery period so we're kind of we've stepped back a little bit um and we're we've went down a gear so that's where we're at now at ifl um we're gonna probably come back to the podcast after this episode in the new year and we'll have a new a new set of interviews new set of content of all kinds really to to talk to you about and to keep you informed about the irish film world Uh, but that's going to be in the new year so enjoy Enjoy this last sort of festival dispatch. Have a good December, everybody. And we'll see you in the new year. And thanks for thanks for being a supporter of Irish Film London um, and the work that we do. If you want, if you do want to continue supporting us, um, it's worth me saying this now before we get into the interviews, because it's I don't think we're going to really have a chance in the middle of them the way that they're laid out. We are a not not-for-profit organization. Irish Film London presents multiple film festivals and screening events 
all year round in London and online through our our online player channel um, called Irish Film from Home. You can go to irishfilmlondon.com and find out all the information about us. You can go to at Irish Film London on all your social media channels. And if you if you can go and give us give us a like or a subscribe or whatever it is that you do on your channels, comment or retweet or whatever, that all helps to help people get the word out about what we do. Um, the funding that we get is 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 generous from the funding organizations that we get it from and we're and we're we're really thankful for that but it's limited so we'd love any any bit of help that you can give us and just doing like a little like or a share or something is is a bit of a help um as well as that we have our membership scheme and our festival members which are called festival friends and festival champions they get loads more out of what they do out of what we do so consider becoming a, a, a member and, and joining, the fa- joining the family, I guess. Um, we're going to be back with more events in the new year as well. Uh, we're looking forward to doing some screenings around St. Bridget's at the end of January. Uh, we're already thinking about what we're doing for the St. Patrick's Film Festival in central London. Uh, we're hopeful that we can do something in Trafalgar Square again this year with that big video screen that's in the front of Trafalgar Square. Um, so that hasn't been there since 2019 now because the the March 2021 got sort of cancelled at the last minute because of you know that whole COVID thing. Um, so yeah, look out for look out for some news on that as well. Um, and yeah, that's it. Enjoy the interviews. Thanks very much. I'm here with Philip Doherty, who is the director and writer of Redemption of a Rogue. Uh, Philip, so much congratulations to you for the film. Um, I watched it when it was released in Galway uh, Film Flap. That was last year. And I was just blown away by the world, the style, the writing, everything to do with it. Um, it won Best Irish Feature in Galway Film Fla. And I guess it's been an interesting time because it was released and premiered during <clears throat> our 2020 pandemic. So a lot of, I guess, the success that you received was enjoyed from your home or through a Zoom screen. So um, I know you had a release at home. Um, what's it been like actually being in- able to enjoy it now? like with audiences and on a big screen has it been enjoyable oh yeah it's been incredible um to see it on the big screen with other people around you it's, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a surreal experience but it actually became one um so yeah we we won the the, the film fla and it has been at a number of festivals around the world and but i've been in my kitchen for all of that so it's <laughs> like how did the glasgow film festival go i don't know i was in my kitchen but it seemed to it seemed to be good so to have it out there with live people, it's just been, it's been brilliant. I didn't think it was going to happen. And I think a, a lot of other films are made or out at around the same time as, as me, just went straight to on demand. But we held firm. We wanted that experience of seeing it on the big screen. And I've seen the film thousands of times, but to see it in the lighthouse on that big screen was just an, an amazing experience. Like it really was. Like just, you could see the whole production design and. You know, my brother did production design, Joe Doherty, and Bershey's photography, and, and above all, Aaron Monaghan's performance. Just mesmerizing to see it on that scale. One hundred percent, and like the the whole. I mean, it led from you, but the whole cast, such a great ensemble, um, such amazing themes, quite quite dark themes, quite Irish themes. I would say, like the the, the darkness of of of, of humor, really. Um, 
has there been any surprises through reactions to it? You know, have you got a lot of people coming up saying interesting things or um, after the screenings, have you just enjoyed having people laugh and react in the cinema? Yeah, just uh, so beautiful feeling to hear people laughing, you know, at, at, at the film. Um, I went to, it went to Kimelos in Greece um, to the international festival there and that was the first time I actually saw it. It was a different experience because it was, it was the first time I saw it with other people in Greece um, and it was um, a nighttime screening on the beach on a full moon night. We're all kind of in these sort of um, beanbag things watching the film. So it was a very unusual, beautiful, magical experience. But they were laughing so hard at the black comedy, the Irish black comedy. Even GA gags they were laughing at. So hopefully the the support, the support humor, I guess, um, transcended to, to Greece. But to feel people laughing at, at you know this rural film set in my hometown, in my home county, um, to to land in, in on a beach in, in Greece kind of was 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 a wonderful experience and, and surprising as well. But overall, I mean, people have been people that I haven't you know been in touch with since primary school have been getting in touch with me. It's kind of like an old-fashioned wedding where people have come out of the woodwork to congratulate you, <laughs> and that's been just a, a, a wonderful experience, and um, and that people have connected with it, and people are really proud of it from Calvin as well because it's been a, a huge community effort. Um, I don't know. I'm sure there's been lots of negative things about it, but I, I they haven't gotten in touch with me directly. But it's been really a wonderful, encouraging, and inspiring experience to have people get in touch with you and. And, and talk about how much it connected with them and how much they got the film. That's amazing, and and so it just shows you that actually you know comedy and humor and we, you know we can think something is very Irish, but then you bring it to a different audience and it connects still with them. So there is a universal kind of connection within humor, um, and and made the, some of the themes that you were working on. Um, yeah. But I guess you mentioned Cavan and so curious um about you know the process of filming because you're a cavern man there was a, another cavern man as the lead actor and a lot of um cavern actors i spotted um you know the films about jimmy prodigal son returning was there a little bit of um you know life imitating art or um how did you how did you find shooting in your hometown was it enjoyable yeah, well, I, I couldn't have done it anywhere else in the world for the money we had. <laughs> <laughs> we had a tiny amount of money, but amazing people working on it. So it, a lot of it was a lot of our first feature film. It was like most of the crew, and but the communities of Swanland Bar and Caventown really rode in behind us and helping us with the locations and helping us with the catering and just giving everything they could. So it, it was, even though we had a really minuscule amount of money, um, I don't think we could have pulled off something as ambitious as this anywhere else in the world because of the, 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 the community collective artistic spirit that kind of helped helped us pull it off. Um, but yeah, life imitating art. I mean, I guess it's a, it's a fairly personal film. It's set in a world that I grew up in, that cavern wit that's so droll and dark. It's very and sardonic. It's, it's quite famous. And I wanted to kind of express that and show the world that with all these sort of larger than life characters that I grew up in and, and um, suffered through and, <laughs> but, and, and secretly love as well. That's amazing. And it really does show. I mean, it is a whole world there. And I was actually really struck by the music, you know, the blues music. And I, I thought to myself, how, how have I not realized before? But I think Cavan and blues music really like it's a good fit. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I wondered with the music sense of things, I'm curious when writers are writing, um, was that the type of thing, the soundtrack, the type of thing you heard in your head as you were writing, or was it something that kind of came a bit later? No, it, it was very early on. Um, 
the blues, maybe because Cavan wear blue football jerseys. I don't know. <laughs> it's um, but but Cavan is famous for its music and its musicians and famous for its trad music as well. But it's it, it's always had a kind of blues bands in the sixties and seventies and um, I don't know. And and the dour sort of wet biblical rain kind of felt the kind of to- tone and mood of the film. But yeah, I, I listened to music while writing a lot of the, the script, certainly a lot of the more visual parts of it. And I was listening to a lot of Mississippi blues and Delta blues and a lot of Tom Waits. And and, 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 and that helped me kind of visualise a lot of the scenes and the, that downbeat tone as well. And I worked quite closely with the composer, Robbie Perry, who worked on a lot of theatre productions previously. Um, he was on board from the very beginning, you know, from idea stage. So, you know, I was reading early drafts to him and... Um, so that was all happening from the very kernel of the idea. That was huge, hugely important. The original title of it was Redemption of a Rogue Blues Opera. Um, Amazing. <laughs> but we got, got rid of the blues opera. Yeah. <laughs> Too wordy. Well, I, I think you feel, you feel like you're in a blues opera when you're watching it, but it is. It's so fitting and it's so right. And I can't let you go without asking you the question about the rain. I mean, visually, so beautiful, so striking as a dramatic advi- uh, device, like so smart, so clever. But I'd imagine the technicalities of filming with that much rain was challenging. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was hugely challenging. But I think this is a testament to the ridiculously talented people that were working on the film. Um, so th- th- to get a rain machine, we priced it, I think if we, for two days, it would have blown our entire budget. So it's not like we could do the film without rain. It's, it, the whole, it, the entire texture of the film is is, is wet. <laughs> so, um, but we had a team that were able to invent their own rain machines. They worked with local plumbing companies. The fire service in Cavan gave us access to the water mains in the villages, and people just built these rain machines. These huge, massive shower heads that covered the whole street, and that's how we were able we were able to pull it off with people thinking on their feet, being being inventive and being imaginative and and finding a way. Um, so yeah, it's credit to all those people. But yeah, it's it, it does look absolutely beautiful and kind of helps sort of um, act as a symbol for the, the mood of the film. Well, yeah, absolutely. It, it is inc- an incredible film and it's it's just so creative. It's so visual. It's so, um, it's so fun to just watch that kind of, a, a, such a, a quirky, if I'm allowed to say, that world be brought to life on screen and something we don't see very often. So I know everyone's going to be really excited to see it in the festival uh, this week. It's going to be on, on Sunday. Um, so thank you, Philip, so much for joining oh, Thank you very much, Cueva. Delighted. Thank you very much. So that's Philip Doherty speaking to Quiva um, on Friday last, actually. Then on Saturday, I caught up with Michelle Dagnan as she spoke to Vivian Dick. Um, so we've recorded this. The Q&A for this is recorded. Um, it's a slightly different um, it's a slightly different tonality to the recording because it's recorded in a slightly different way. But uh, Michelle started by talking to Vivian about the sort of alien quality to Manhattan that appears in her documentary, New Yorker Time. So we pick up the Q&A from that point. I'm thinking about its cinematic qualities. Uh, I was really struck uh, and watched it again. The opening section of the film and that motif is is, um, revisited throughout the film. The beautiful setting of 
Manhattan almost as an alien universe. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit about how that came about or did that come out in the editing no, process? No, that was in or? my mind. That was definitely planned. I had, I, you know, you, you're talking to people and you have these interviews, you're in people's apartments, etc. And I, I used this going up the stairs as a kind of a tra transition thing as well. And I thought that Manhattan is so busy and there's so much stuff, you know, and there's so many, it's just hard to kind of almost see, you know. So I thought I'd, and also I wanted to say something with these abstract kind of buildings you know, um, and the orange filter to make it more abstract so that um, it starts to say something else. It's something about, you know, it's something about time and it could, what time is this? Because you, you look at some of the older buildings that were built in the 20s and 30s and there are some of them that are extraordinary, you know, they're looking, they look like something from Egypt, Babylon, you know, very imaginary kind of buildings that you'd have in a science fiction movie, you know, so. And then the new buildings are something else again, the ones that are in the Hudson Yards around there, they're very, you know, glass reflecting, they're, you know, they're very hard, they're very sharp, you know, and uh, no people at all, um, you can't see through the glass, you know, so, of course, I deliberately shot it so you couldn't see people for the most part, um, but, yeah, I mean, I was trying to bring in the, especially at the end, I was trying to begin the idea of, New York has such an extraordinary history all back through the centuries since it was built and such a vibrant place with all these people arriving from other places and the period the, the period I was there in the late 70s is like it's just like this slice of time so the film is like two slices of time just that period and now and I'm with those shots at the end I'm trying to give the idea of where is all this going where is the city going where where are we going in this you know, in this world, really, because in a, in a way, you could look at those buildings and you could say to yourself, well, that could be like Beijing or something. Maybe it's not, you know, you wouldn't know, you know. So that idea, expanding it out a bit, you know. Now, I really wanted to get that sense of how, um, I suppose you could say the film is like an ethnographic study of my community that I, when I, that when I was there, things like that, and I'm there in it, in the, and it's from the inside. And, um, you know, I just, um, I wanted to have the sense of um, our time on the planet is very short. It just goes by. I mean, look at us now, you know. <laughs> it's just crazy, you know. And I wanted to evoke the energy that was there in the time I was there you, with the archive, with the music and everything to kind of give you a sense of it really was um, an energetic sort of creative time. You know, it's, it was, it's not, I didn't want it to be a nostalgic thing. Yeah, yeah and I think really uh, capture that and also a sense of, um, continuity through some of the um, people you interview uh, towards the end, the um, woman who hangs out at the skate park and Zoe who uh, talks about her relationship to community uh, filtered through social media and the kind of impact that's had in her life. Um, but it's interesting what you're saying there about slices in time because I was thinking about the title of course, Our Time and you know everyone who's in New York is still there. It's still everybody's time. But there is a sense, isn't there, where youth, you know, when we talk about youth in a, in a place, that that's our period, you know, we'll refer to maybe our teenage years or our twenties as, oh, th that was my time, that was my scene. Um, I'd like to uh, talk to you a little bit about that, that thing about aging, really, and in relation to thinking about 
your time and a place? Um, you know, I think that, um, I don't know really what to say. I mean, you know, it's, I, I don't have any wish to be young again, you know. Uh, I think the world we're, we're living in now, it's changing rapidly and it's, um, um, things are kind of much more serious in, in some ways in terms of um, what we're going to do to survive, you know, in, in, more in every way, you know, in terms of like the way capitalism has become so voracious and the way global warming is affecting, you know, it's very obvious now, it can't, it's not like, um, there's no getting away from it, you know, so we're going to have to make some decisions, you know what I mean, about what kind of world we, we want to live in. That idea is implied there, sort of thing. Right? So I mean, we're we're not I'm not going to survive forever. Nobody is. So so what you know? I think I, it, what's very kind of not just enlightening but inspiring uh, about your time, that time, our time, is uh, well many things, but uh, specifically I think uh, about you guys finding this space, this communal space within an actual space that others might have seen as abject, you know, that that, that wasn't a, a place that was completely neglected, uh, derelict, there's no money, and yet something so creative, so energetic, so forward-thinking, so playful came out of it. Well, I know, but people that time, you know, in the 70s were living in quite, you know, rough squats here as well. I mean, it wasn't just in America, you know. Um, because I lived here too, you know, when I moved back. Um, I mean, New York, I suppose, I mean, at that time it was very special in the sense that the city uh, was completely broke and the middle classes had moved out and rents were very low. So you could live for next to nothing and you could have a small job and survive. And there was an incredible energy and incredible sort of thing going on, particularly with music, but it was also with theater, with dance, with performance art, with art. It was very alive and all different kinds of music. It was jazz, it was downtown, all sorts, all sorts. And um, also there was a lot of people that were listening at that time to older music from the 60s because you could get all these secondhand, everyone wore everything secondhand. Everything was re recycled, furniture, clothes, get all these records on the street. So I was like listening to all this music that I'd sort of heard some of, but you know, um, that was kind of very important, I think. And that some of that music, like early, or say, just name one song, I don't know, like people like Sir Dwayne Eddy or a Link Ray or um, Question Mark and Mysterious, because I use that song in one of my films. Of course, there's no clearance, but I have it in one of my early films. There's no such thing as clearance then um, in our world. Um, yeah, that that music had had an influence on punk sounds, you know, the kind of rawness of it, you know, yeah. So, so there was music, and of course I was listening. Yeah, whatever. I mean, the, the music has had a very um, was very important because it was very much do it yourself. People weren't um, trained necessarily in how to play instruments, and we kind of took off from that in terms of making films because I didn't have training in how to make films. I just did it in a very low, low way, you know, doing the editing at home on my kitchen table. Uh, you know, a uh, little thing, you know, very small camera. But it was fantastic because um, we were able to show the films and the um, other people, I found another group of people who were also making these films, just like sticking them together with tape, you know, to make, and it had, they had sound. The great thing was these films had sound. Super 8 with a soundtrack, little 
magnetic track along the edge of the film, which um, um, these films are still played today, and the, some of the sound is fantastic. You know, it's kind of um, rough, but it's kind of great because it's rough, because all these other sounds from the street and sirens and people calling out come, in, come into it. You know, it's not filtered. So it's quite um, um, alive. It sounds alive. It sounds much more alive than the 16 mil films that I heard at, at the time, very fresh or something. And of course, film, Super 8 film, is so tiny, each frame, you know, the size of your little finger, is, is, is survives, you know, it doesn't uh, turn into snow like video does, you know. Yeah. So it really is great material. Yeah, and I think um, actually you talk about sound there, you know, your affinity with and, and close listening, your, your um, sense of rhythm really does come across immediately in the film. Again, if you think back to the opening sequence, how the sounds of the cities, you know, build and build to become almost a track. And then there's sequences where um, we've got kind of intense periods of sound or music and everything just drops. Yeah, well, yeah. Martin Wheeler composed the music for this film, the new music, and also would have done a lot of the wild track. I mean, there was some recording sound, but he did other sounds off the streets, and he specializes in manipulating not, you know, wild tracks so that you can't tell sometimes if it's music or if it's wild track, you know, there's it, it, that going on in some of the, some parts of the film. Yeah. I might like to open up for questions in the audience if anyone has, has one. Rachel? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, um, I'll just, can I take, no, it's all right, I won't. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> um, yeah, I was just intrigued by Lydia Lunch's appearance at the end, because like in the early films, she's such a powerful presence, and she's a really powerful presence here, but she's dealt with very differently to all the other people in your milieu, and I just wondered, was that pragmatic or was that a kind of aesthetic decision or kind of both? And a, and, a, and a decision to do with, I mean, uh, Lydia isn't the kind of one just to hang out like that. She sort of keeps herself apart from, you know, she's a um, particular way of hanging out with people and she, you know, she didn't, <laughs> she didn't want to do it. Anyway, I knew it wouldn't, I knew, never even asked her. I thought, now how will Lydia be in this film if I can persuade her to be in it? She, um, it has to be something a bit different, you know, so I decided maybe it should be some kind of performance, which she does a lot of, does that kind of political talks and things and talks and feminism. So, you know, we, she had some text, she agreed to do it. She was hard to catch because she's on tour a lot, really what was tired when, when she arrived there that day, she was just back from Europe. So I was lucky to catch her just in that week, you know, yeah. Yeah, I know it is. She's she is really powerful. She is she's amazing. I think. So in in relation to that, actually, I'd like to pick up on something we were talking about earlier about how a lot of the the characters um, in the film, of course, uh, featured in your earlier work, but this um, the structure of the documentary, of course, is quite different in relation to how you filmed with them. Um, and I wonder, would you say a bit about that because I know it was quite collaborative in some ways, what happened in this piece? Yeah, well, it is m a little bit more like a, it's a kind of experimental type documentary, but it's obviously made to maybe have a slightly w a wider reach of an audience, right? 
Um, so yeah, I was kind of concerned not to make something too conventional because and it actually started out being a bit kind of stiff and conventional at the start. And Detta was saying, "Are you sure you want to do this?" <laughs> so he, I mean, he was great, you know. And I know him it's from your camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know him from many years ago. He, he used to live in Ireland. We used to work to, 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 together before we started doing okay. camera work for films. Um, so I was very lucky to, to, to that he did that, you know. Um, plus he knew all my old work, so that helped. He wanted to create a style that matched the way I film, you know, which is it was great at handheld stuff. Yeah. So what was the question you were going to say? <laughs> he did. Yeah. Okay. No. Well, uh, in relation to, I suppose, the conversations around uh, with uh, people in the film, you know, about, uh, let's say, I suppose, the kind of formality of the interview, but then you make it informal because you're in their space, uh, your shoes are off, you know, there's a lot of walking around in domestic spaces, and I wonder how much was, you know, just came about organically, uh, how much oh, it was, was organically it was no it was Declan just we just have a break for coffee and Declan would be still shooting and it was great he, we decided if that happened we would do that because just having people sitting down talking you know me and I'm kind of keeping slightly out of it anyway which doesn't seem very much to me but um yeah we, we figured out as we went along how to how to how to do it you know and yes it's um yeah, I mean, we, we had conversations on Skype about what we might talk about in advance, and it wasn't like, well, we're going to talk about this and this and this, but something, maybe a little bit of, of that, you know, that maybe bring it into it, but it, it was, um, people um, brought it in in their own way, in their own time, or, or, or they didn't, you know, because, say, take Felice talking about her um, parents and them going to the Philippines, that was her, she wanted to bring that story into the film, you know, yeah, wonderful, yeah. yeah. Uh, there were things like that, you know. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it, it, I thought it was really important he included that, the, that, the, the, that there was a real sense of, there's so many histories of people, that were people were bringing to the community, you know, it was like all of the 20th century was in, <laughs> was in there from the Western world, all over Europe, you know, um, uh, the States, uh, loads of um, life experiences that people brought to their relationship with each other. Anyway, before I keep talking, <laughs> uh, anyone else have a question? Yeah. Okay. Microphone there, so everyone can hear you. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Just there from uh, what you said at the end about the um, one of the people in it talking about her parents in the Philippines, and then sort of linking that back to uh, an earlier part of the film where Somebody said, um, we come to New York and we can be who we want to be. We can be anonymous. And, um, you know, coming from small towns, etc. You know, I just thought that contrast was really good because it was almost like um, people kind of easing themselves into be. I mean, I know this is not in reality, but it's a nice contrast. People easing themselves into revealing themselves and revealing their history after having said, we come here as anonymous people, and I suppose that was connected with the linkage that you had with all of them uh, as friends. Uh, there was a tremendous vibrancy there. It's very good. They, they, I, they were very generous. There was a great trust there with me, you know, with them uh, talking to me, and um, yeah.
Eddie, and congratulations and Cocarticus Night on both the movie. It was brilliant, really inspirational, and your award. I lived in New York from the mid-70s until the early 90s, but I was immersed in the AIDS crisis in the 80s. But the women you brought to us here, I mean, they're the kind of women I would love to have had as my teachers in the convent in Ennis, where I come from. I mean, my gosh, like, these women are, you know, made of steel in, in the very best sense of the word. I mean, um, I don't know how you found them. I mean, you're so blessed to have had such friends. I presume they're all still alive. I, I would want them to talk to me about life, about death, about love, about freedom. Um, I just want to thank you and congratulate you for bringing them into our lives and, and giving us the gift of yours and their freedom. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's wonderful. There in the middle. Great. Thank you very much. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Um, I was struck by something you said about um, there were other places like this, like London in the 70s and 80s. And I've been in New York and I, I've lived in London in, in squats and co-ops and things. And um, I'm just sort of wondering, um, what about now? Do you think, because um, it, it, it was a very productive time and it was cheap and people could live. Um, how do you think something parallel to that is happening now, and where, and how? Just your thoughts on that, because so, so seeing New York, it, it's so expensive now, and London is so expensive now. Uh, this area we're in now, you know, what was really cheap, you know, in the 70s, nobody wanted to live here, even later than that. So I'm just wondering about then and now, and creativity. Yeah, become much more difficult to earn in terms of just living your life, your daily life, work, have forced to work much more. We spend so much more time sitting in front of the computer for hours. I spend hours in the computer every day. You know, I mean, just because you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to pay bills and whatever you're doing. And you start to think, my God, I'm becoming a slave to this machine, you know. So, and more and more on screens uh, uh, as well. So I think we really have to watch out what's ha what, how we're living. You know, we need a break from that. Um, for Otherwise, we'll just go crazy, you know. Uh, but I also think that the way things are designed is that, I mean, as we know, the world's become much more unequal. You know, it's like very, very wealthy people and very and much people hardly getting paid anything at all and no contracts and everything else. That's the kind of world we're in now, Amazon, those kind of companies. And if, if there are places that we can go and live, I'm sure there are, but it'd be far away from here. I mean, I think Berlin for, for a while might have been a place before it's kind of changed now, I think, and, you know, more like here, but um, I don't know exactly where, but um, maybe Istanbul, I don't really know. I don't really know. But I'm sure there are places in Africa or somewhere. Well, it's... Hello. Hello, Vivian. Um, in the back. Hi. Um, I really enjoyed your film. And um, I wanted to ask you, how do you see, as far as uh, your audience in America, here in England and in France, the response from the people, of, as far as you showing this film? Yeah, 
well, I don't really know yet for Monte because it hasn't been shown very much, you know. I mean, actually, it's the, the, the festival thing is crazy. You can, you need to know people in the festivals to get into the festivals, and um, I don't know these people. And uh, they just take all, they just take, they take people's money, and it's actually quite a scandal because they select almost everything that they show in these festivals. It seems like to me, and they take all these submissions from people and. Don't even get back to you to say like, uh, sorry, we, we're not able to take. <laughs> don't even do that. We'll just take your money. So, but I think the film will get shown somewhere in its own way. You know, it will. I think this is a film that has a life. You know, so in it will get shown. Just hope there's somebody here maybe. <laughs> Give me a squeeze. Oh yeah, I I would like to get it. I think it will. You know. But the festival thing, I tell you, I wouldn't bother unless you know somebody who's uh, selecting. I wouldn't bother with the festival. <laughs> <laughs> we have never met before this evening. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I won't I won't say nothing about festival. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I won't say it. Um I wanted to ask you about um I'm thinking about the the type of spaces that are that people inhabit within the film. There are like there there are places which are I mean in in the time when you when you lived there um, previously, the spaces are often you know they're run down or they're um, they're squats or and a lot of the times there's rooftop spaces and there there are things which are sort of away from the the hubbub of the city and I think your your the way that you deliberately not shot. The street level, like the people in the city, a lot of times, and um, is really interesting. And so it's made me think about um, how the conditions that we find ourselves in sometimes are responsible for bursts of creativity. Um, and I wondered if you had any any thoughts on that. The conditions that are around us, you mean? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? The condition that how, how does that impact on whether there's going to be activity in terms of creativity, is that what you mean? Yeah. And, well, New York was yeah. conducive to, it was just a, a special time really, and um, for those reasons that um, we, uh, the main thing is that people have time off, because you didn't have to be working all the time to pay your rent, the way people do now. The rents were very, very low, and um, you, you just could get by with, a, uh, anyway, there were hardly any jobs. You could get by with a small job, and you'd have loads of time off to do other things. You could explore what was happening, and there was lots of things happening. And you could start making things yourself, like whether it be music or whatever, you could get involved in other things. So we really do need to have time out, you know? We can't be working all the time just to pay the bills, you know what I mean? That's no way to be living. We need time to think, and just time to do nothing, you know? It's important. Which kind of takes us back to the the title our time yeah. could be uh owning our own time mm -hmm. and um you know what's really precious as well i think what really comes across is the the time and space to build relationships and to make play and creativity part of that relationship to collaborate um and that's where something new happens so I suppose in relation to Raid, 
<laughs> oh, I, I just I'm, I won't be able to find my words, but there's something about I think it's a really crucial, important thing about becoming a robot and becoming a robot for others. So you're not even being paid, but actually that's what's happening in our sort of system where we're actually our time is being taken up. What we might believe is a kind of leisure, but actually um, we're sort of becoming robots. You know, so I, I, to me it's been that something in this film has opened up. It's really, really. Really really, is really special about something that's, that is spoken about, about the figures in your, your, your friends who you're talking about, about the time. I'm just saying what I think everybody's experienced here, yeah, that it's, it's very key because it was a formative time and developing a creativity and a confidence. They all talk about, the women talk about very clearly that confidence about the height of the stage and that you actually, you said to me, you know, you know of not necessarily knowing how to play something or whatever, but then to do that, the freedom for that, that's mm. such a, a gift that can stay with you, the sort of de developing a confidence and just, yeah, capacity, so creativity, yeah, so just to say that really, and I think that that's really special and you've highlighted it there as, as a possibility. And it's crucial for where we are now, as I'm saying, about how we, without unwittingly being in the cradle of robots, but corporations. Hi Vivian, brilliant, thank you, uh, really good. Um, I think also you touch on that moment that obviously to a certain extent we share, um, those of us of a certain age, um, that there was no com commodification of work in the same way. The art market was very different and we had our own audiences. We had a politics, we had an idea that actually we could change things, we could change the world. And I think the text of the film really captures that moment. And obviously there are all these variables that feed into that moment, which is, you know, being able to find places that were really cheap, not having to work 24-7, etc., etc., and the importance of friendship and community networks and, and the links with community. And obviously we know just from the London scene, it's very hard now because communities are disappearing because of globalization, increased capitalism. So I think the film really touches on those very crucial moments as well as being able not to be dystopian because it really does also capture the possibilities. I'm sorry, I've got to intervene here, sorry. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think all of that is true, but I think we really need to remember that young people you know, have their life, it's their time now, and that they do find time and ways to make art or to make their life in the way that they make it. And like they, you know, I mean, we had this the other, the other night. I, you know, I think, <laughs> I think that, um, I don't know how it helps young people to be told things were like much better then, or we had all this time then. And I think what was great about the film is it, it's not nostalgic, you know, it talks about that moment, but it doesn't talk about, you know, but it also, involves young people talking about their moment as well and i think that it's really important to remember that you know rather than talking because i mean i you know i remember in the 80s we didn't feel that we were blessed you know there weren't any jobs there weren't you know there were so i don't know whether any time is that kind of you know um you know golden time you know exactly it isn't except for those that you know have lots of money and have all those things but for most ordinary people, they have to make their life in their time however they can. And that's exactly what that, 
you know your generation did and that's what this gen you know young people now are doing you know yeah as, as, as you said the film Vivian very much finds you know it, it we, we end uh, to uh, young people who are very definitely you know finding those edges those spaces those cracks if you like or those alternative ways of uh, relating to community themselves the world um, they really give you hope you know and we know as so many of us here artists and creatives that, that we all do that on a daily basis you have to you, you find ways around things and you can do that in a metropolis even something that seems so corporate <laughs> and I'm afraid we have to wrap up now um, let's continue the conversation in the bar that would be fantastic thank you so much Vivian again for coming over I know you're very busy so we're really really um very very grateful you made it over for uh, the screening and the q a and um everyone like to give uh, <laughs> <laughs>